You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Real quick as we start, some Bible trivia for you. What's the shortest verse in all the Bible? John 11:35. Jesus wept, and that's what we're covering today. It's going to be a short sermon, the shortest sermon. Um, Jesus wept, these two words that communicate so much about the humanity compassion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The verse simply states, Jesus wept. And we learn so much about this in the context of um, our series, going through these encounters with Jesus, different encounters throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus has with people. And uh, we learn so much about Christ and what it looks like to walk with him and follow him. We're looking at John chapter 11. We'll read our passage today, verse 20 through 38. You can follow along with me. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This is God's word. Passage is a favored passage at funerals, as you can imagine, for good reason, because it confronts this uh, normal part of living, and that is it combines the reality of grief and loss and pain and suffering and crisis uh, with a call to trust in God. And in the midst of it all, we see Jesus in his humanity, his compassion, his sympathy, his care. And in the midst of all that, we see that he is filled with such grief. This encounter here is between Jesus and two sisters, Mary and Martha. Their brother, Lazarus, has died. Jesus does raise Lazarus from the, day that, that, from the dead that day. We'll get to that passage another time. But before we get to that, we just want to look at this encounter that Jesus has with these two sisters. Because these two sisters represent two common approaches to suffering. Two common approaches to when crisis hits in our life. 
when things don't turn out the way that we had hoped, when our expectations don't match what we had, what we're actually experiencing. Some become, in the midst of crisis, some become doers and some become dullers. Some get to work and try to fix the problem and some sit and sulk and just feel all the feelings. Some spring to action. They find answers because if something's broken, well, then it can be fixed. And your job is to fix it as quickly as possible and move on from the pain. Others sit in a chair and weep, waiting for someone to bring them something warm to drink, like Mary. Well, I imagine uh, Martha is saying to her sister, Mary, would you, would you wipe your tears from your face? Help me figure out what we're going to do next. Now, our brother has died. There's no use crying over it. Let's, let's get to work and figure out what needs to happen. I imagine Mary saying to her sister, Martha, would you just be honest with yourself for a moment about how you're feeling right now? The best thing we could do in this moment is to feel all the feelings and to just weep. You know, neither of these approaches are rebuked by Jesus. He doesn't rebuke either approach of Martha or Mary. He encounters them, he meets them where they are, and he teaches them something about himself in the midst of heartache. And in learning about him, we are also invited to trust in him, to follow him. The doer and the duller alike. The one who takes action and the one who knows nothing to do but to just be sad. Both are called to him in the moment of pain. I'm going to highlight two things that were, were taught here, each from these two sisters, really highlighting these two kinds of personalities here. And maybe, maybe you only need to hear one of them. And likely one of them will resonate more strikingly with you because of your personality, because of your experiences, because of just the way that you approach life. I want you to consider which is you, which one you need to hear. Do you need to hear what Jesus says to Martha? Do you need to hear what he does with Mary? And here's the first thing that, that we can learn from this is that it is easier to trust in Jesus's faithfulness in the future rather than his present faithfulness. Yet, yet both are true. It is so easy to trust that one day God will make things better than it is to know and to trust that he is working right now. One day, Jesus will make things right. One day, all the chaos in the world will be brought to order. One day, Jesus will make sense of the pain that we're experiencing today. One day, I'll have the answers. And this is so true, but with Martha, Jesus wants to press in further with her. He wants to go deeper. If she can believe in future faithfulness of Jesus, why is she struggling to trust in his present faithfulness right now? Here's how the conversation goes. Martha says, Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick. And after he hears that his friend, who he cares about deeply, is sick, he actually stays where he is for two days. He delays his pursuit of Lazarus. He stays there. And we learn from the previous passage that we didn't read that he does this on purpose. It's comments like these in the Bible that I wish I could hear the tone of the speaker. Don't you? It, it, it's, you know, we only have the text message. It'd be really great to have, like, the voicemail. 
Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Is this an accusation of failure or is it an affirmation of Jesus' power? Is, does it sound like this? Jesus, my brother's dead. Some friend you are. We told you that he was sick. You waited two days and, and, and if you would have been here, he'd be alive. Or does it sound like Jesus, my brother's dead, but, but you can do anything that you want to do. You know, we're given this honest glimpse into the reality of grief, grief and sometimes there's a mixture of both. That it's possible to grieve and also trust in Jesus. It's, also, it's, it's possible to feel pain and also have your heart geared and, and, and focused on the promises of God. She says, even now, though, I know that whatever you ask, it will happen. And why didn't you ask to make him better? Why didn't you ask your father to heal him? And now he's dead. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. To which Martha replies, and again, I wish I had the, the voicemail and not the text message. I know, I know, I know one day he'll rise again at the last day at the resurrection. When the Messiah comes and raises all from the dead, I know that that's a promise. And in a distant future, the new life will come to us all when the trumpets sound and the dead will come out of their graves and we will be given the, the imperishable life forever. I know that will happen. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's look at Martha. Look at what she is going through. Look at the conversation that she's having and this confrontation with Jesus. For someone like Martha that, that seeks control and answers and solutions to problems for the, the doer in her, she ultimately is invited to see that Jesus is not only the one who is ultimately in control of her future destiny and the future things, but he is the one ultimately in control of her present circumstances right now. That her life, that every detail of her life is held in God's good and sovereign hands. He's in inviting Martha and all of the control-prone firstborns out there Martha is the oldest, right, that rushes out when there's a problem and goes to the one who can help. Lazarus is the baby who gets sick and the whole town comes and says, okay, whatever, what can we do for you? And Mary is in her house crying with the pastors, the middle child, <laughs> just feeling all of her feelings. He's inviting Martha, the doer, to trust in him beyond the abstract beyond the intellectual, beyond the Sunday school answer, and to truly embrace a personal belief that Jesus is not only the God of the future, but the God of her present. He is inviting her to take all of that knowledge that she has in his future power and faithfulness and say, and yet I hold you in my hands right now today. The circumstances you are facing are beyond your control, but they're in my control. Yes, Martha, one day Jesus will do all these things and we look forward to this future hope, this future resurrection the future promises to come true, but he's not sitting idly by right now. 
Yes, Martha, there is a future reality coming, but there's also a present reality for you. You don't need to control your life. You don't need to control your circumstances. You don't need to fix all the problems because they're God is not sitting idly by. He is engaged right now. He is setting things in order in your midst. He is not only the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I am the destination. I am the journey. I am your future hope. I am also in your circumstances. He sustains every move. He directs every event. He knows when every sparrow falls dead and even the death of a loved one is within the heavenly purposes of God's ultimate glory and plan. And he says, do you believe that? Do you believe that I am the one who sustains and gives life, the one who is with you now? I couldn't help but preparing for this message and working through this passage, um, remembering the events of 9-11 21 years ago today and watching the towers fall uh, in my, my uh, living room and hearing the stories in the days that followed of all the lives that were affected by this tragedy. All the lives that were lost and the families that were left behind who were left to mourn the loss of a loved one. Families instantly destroyed in a moment. People who never got to say goodbye to their loved ones. And for those, I couldn't help but imagine, for those who, who truly believed in Jesus, who were among those who died, they were with Jesus in that moment as quickly as their lives were taken from them. As quickly as their lives were taken from them, they were in the eternal presence of a God who loves them. And yet, even though they died biologically, in a sense, they could not die. Because the moment a person believes in Jesus, the life of Christ, the life of the resurrected Christ is poured into that person's soul. And that life is eternal. And in that moment of their natural death, a new life began. An eternal life began. They could not die, even in a sense when they did die they began to experience this new life at that moment. And this is what Jesus says, that there is a grief, but there is a hope in the midst of grief. This is what Jesus says when he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There is not only a trust in a hope that is to come. There is not only a trust in the life that comes after this. There is a promise that God gives to us for a life that starts right now, the moment we believe. And Martha was struggling with that. She was focused on the future hope. She was focused on the, the true future resurrection. But there is a trust that Jesus is bringing about an internal change that happens in us right now by the power of God. So that no matter what happens to us, we live as ones who have faith in the power and sovereignty of God today, what you are going through right now. And Jesus says, do you believe this? And in the midst of this, Martha says, yes. She believes not only what is to come, she believes in who Jesus is and who he says he is. Again, I would love to hear the tone of this text message. 
I imagine there's some straining. I imagine there's some wrestling. I imagine there's some conflict and struggle within her, but also some confidence, a kind of mix, a, a, a striving to trust in Jesus, even when it's really difficult. And this is what faith is. This is the true essence of faith, of Jesus saying, here's who I am. Here's what I say that I can do and am willing to do. And here's what you need to wait on. And I know that everything in your life is giving you evidence to the contrary. But are you going to believe in what I've said to you? And she's wrestling through that. But ultimately she says, yes, I know you, you've told me who you are. And I believe that you are these things. And that is my hope. And that's what true faith is. That's what it means to trust in Jesus, to believe in him, even when we don't see him working things out for our good. We know that he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then we say, yeah, but it doesn't feel that way. How can this be good for me? And so Jesus presents himself to someone like Martha that wants the answers and wants the answers now and wants to know how every tragedy fits into God's ultimate plan. And he says, I've told you who I am and what I will do. I've told you about the life that I will give you one day. I also tell you about the life that I'm giving you now. Do you believe that? Will you trust in that? And she says, yes. And then she leaves quickly and Jesus says, okay, let me talk to the middle child. <laughs> Go get the middle child. She's crying at home. Let me talk to her. And she gets up and she runs out of the place. Mary gets up out of her seat and she runs out of the place. And this is really funny. I hope you can see the humor in this. The people who are with her and consoling her wonder, where is she going so quickly? And then someone says, She's probably going to just go somewhere else and cry. <laughs> She's, I, I found that really funny. Where is she going? Just in another room to cry, probably. Who, who's here going to identify with Mary? Come on. Okay. All right. Thank you for being brave. Jesus had some things to say to Martha that were confrontational, that were convicting, because Martha was struggling to realize God's ultimate plan in her pain. And now he has some things that he needs to say to Mary. And what does Jesus say to Mary? He says nothing. He doesn't tell her anything. He actually just doesn't correct her at all. He just sits there with her and weeps with her. The second thing we learn is this. It is easy to feel that Jesus has abandoned us when crisis hits, when in reality we have no greater friend in all the world. Notice how she asks the same question to Jesus, but probably with a different tone. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It probably would have taken a lot longer to say than the way I just said it. She probably had to take a lot of pauses in the midst of her crying. She was probably choked up still, and she was probably stri straining to get the words out. But she says the same thing. It was emotional in tone. It was filled with greater desperation. Why didn't you show up when I needed you? You waited two days. I thought you loved us. I thought you were our friend. I thought you cared. And it was the Jewish funeral custom that when someone died, you hired three people, two people to play the flute and then a wailing woman. 
You hired a woman to be at the funeral just to weep loudly. They didn't need to hire that person. Mary was doing that just fine. Okay? Mary's doing that for free because there's so little detail here. We need to focus on what is provided to help us understand what is wanting to be communicated. And that is what's provided to us with Mary is the inner emotion of Jesus. Verse 33 says that when Jesus saw Mary's weeping and the professional weeping of the Jews, right? There were the Jews that came to weep along with her. He was, and our passage says, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Your translation may have a little note. Your translation may be a little bit different than that. It means, and, and this is where at face value, I think it, we don't see everything going on here. To be deeply moved. What is going on there? And if you get deeper into what this means and, and how it was used, it means to, not, not how I thought it would mean, it means to be disgruntled, it means to be enraged. It's even uh, used to describe the noise makes of a horse from his nostrils when it is angry. I'm not going to do it, but you could hear it, right? What do we make of this? That Jesus is disgruntled, that he's angry. And why are these the motions of Jesus at this time? Jesus is, in a sense, he's grieving along with Mary. He weeps with her, but he is grieving in such a way that is very different than the way that Mary is grieving and also the way that the Jews are grieving. And because of this difference, Jesus is filled with indignation. He's filled with with. He's filled with a kind of disappointment and rage and anger. Why? Because Mary is experiencing a deep grief that leads only to despair. She is locked in her own despairing. She wallows in her grief without any sense of resurrection reality. It is a kind of grief that grieves without hope. And she was just feeling all the emotions and she was, her, 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 she was hijacked by her emotions and all that she could focus on was the pain that she was feeling. And then she just unfolds all of that pain on Jesus. He empathizes with her, but then he's also disappointed in a sense because in her grief, she lacks hope in the resurrection. It's likely that the emotions that Jesus feels is one of profound grief over the pain of Mary and the loss of his own friend, as well as the frustration of seeing Mary fail to anchor her pain in the reality of the power and promises of Jesus. Where Martha was hyper-focused on these promises and failed to see how it had present reality, Mary wasn't focused on those promises at all. Martha was focused on the future. Mary was too focused on the present. She was too focused on what she was experiencing. She couldn't see how God was there. Mary questions Jesus because she perceives that his delay in coming to help her and to help her brother could only mean his lack of love for her. Because if you loved me, you would do this for me. Have you ever said something like that? God, if you loved me, you would help me. If you loved me, you would provide this for me. If you loved me, I wouldn't feel the way that I feel. And that's this, and then Jesus makes the sound a horse makes. <laughs> 
but he also grieves with us and hurts with us as we hurt. But we are explicitly told in the verses preceding this passage that Jesus intentionally delayed in order to demonstrate the love of God, not to withhold it. We're explicitly told that he waited in order for the love of God, the glory of God, to be made known to them. But Mary perceives it as a lack of love. How many times we do that? Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lowly says that Jesus has for his people an unrestrained witness. It's a made-up word, but you know where it's getting at, right? An unrestrained witness that Jesus does not know how to be absent from his people. He does not know how to be removed from his people. The great point of this encounter with Mary is that Jesus is not just a good friend in times of trouble, but he has put an end to the fear that we will ever have that we have to stand alone in the midst of grief and pain. The fear that we have that we'll ever go through something in life that is painful and have to do it alone. Jesus puts an end to that. He is always with us. He is the better friend. Friends will leave. Jobs will change. Peace and comfort will come and go. And Jesus is with us, ever present, always enduring, a faithful friend, standing with us with unrestrained witness. Feeling deep grief is not an unchristian emotion. Wailing in pain is not an unchristian emotion. But there is nothing more unchristian than grieving without hope. For to grieve without hope is to deny the person and work of Christ. To come to utter despair, to come to utter hopelessness, to come to a place and saying, where is God in any of this? Is a place that Mary possibly came to. To weep without hope is to have a kind of sentimental faith, a sentimental faith, a faith that relies purely on the presence of certain feelings is no faith at all. You hear me? A faith that relies on the presence of certain feelings is no faith at all. The answer to our difficulties in life is not to be perpetually happy, but to be perpetually trusting. We will not be in a state of serenity always. We will not be in a state of happiness always. We won't be in a state of of feeling like things are working out just as God had told me. We're not called into that. We're actually called, though, into a perpetual state of trusting, even when it feels like God is distant. We're trusting that he is never more present than when we are going through pain. This is when God does his best work in our life. Martha's not weeping, and Jesus does not tell her, if you really trusted me, you'd start crying. Mary is weeping, and Jesus doesn't say, if you really trusted me, you'd stop crying. 
Those emotions and those reactions are not the substance of faith. Both of them, he pursues them where they are. He validates them. He does not correct them, but he, both, he draws both of them to himself. He draws both of them where they need to be, and that is to see him in the midst of their trouble. Which one are you? You probably, as we're talking, you're probably starting to gather which one you might identify more with, right? Martha or Mary? And let me just ask you, if you're still having trouble, just in, where are you prone most to not involve God when crisis hits? Do you feverishly get to work and just say, I have to control this. I have to work this out. It has to be fixed. Or do you just fall apart into pieces and wonder where God is? And with both of those reactions, he is saying, both of you, you need to see me in the midst of this. Jesus experienced every pain that you and I experience and more because he never gave up where we give up. And this is the God that we can trust. He is the one who has been tempted in every way and yet without sin. He knows your pain in this moment even better than you know it yourself because he has experienced the same pain and it's not clouded by the sin in our own experience. Jesus experienced all the pain in the world unfiltered. He experienced the full wrath of God and therefore no one is in a better position to sympathize with you when you are hurting. Some of us are fixers by nature and that is not bad. It's good. Some of us are feelers by nature and that is good. Some doers, some dullers. (laughs) Which is Jesus? And you're thinking, well, whichever one you are, right? (laughs) If Jesus were here, he'd fix it. And some of you are thinking, no, if Jesus were here, he'd sit and cry with me. Well, listen, not all the time, but a lot of the time when we are suffering, we don't need a lesson. We don't need a course of God's attributes. We need someone to let us know that they're with us and if necessary to weep with us because they know what we're feeling and they are pulled into that pain with us. Jesus does not just imagine how we feel. He feels it. He's drawn into our suffering. And in the midst of that, he assures us that he has it in his hands, that he is in control, that he hasn't abandoned us and he's not worried in the slightest. He doesn't doesn't grieve because of a a, a lack of of knowledge. See, if you look through the New Testament, Jesus is always, he's always sapped of energy. He's always sighing. He's always tired. He's always crying out. He's always weeping. He's always sounding like a horse breathing out of his nostrils. He just walks through life just burdened. Why is that? Because you and I exhaust him. Like seriously, we are exhausting You are exhausting. I am exhausting to Jesus. He came leaving the glory of heaven and the peacefulness of the presence of God. He became like us, tempted like us, yet the outcome of his temptation was different than our outcome. He was faithful. He left his glory, became a man lived a sinless life, and then he died all the way to the cross, and then his final act on earth was an act of pain. Imagine how exhausting that was, and none of it he had to do. 
How exhausting it must have been to be him, to be faithful every single moment, every single time. Every single temptation, obedient, faithful, steadfast, exhausted. Jesus is the kind of friend that we need. The friend that will do that, the friend that will come into our place and to say, I've got this. I have got this and I've got you. He's better not only because he's with us and identifies with us, but he alone is our strength and our hope. To say that if Jesus, to say that Jesus is able to sympathize with us, it's not a pep talk for Christians. It's not a pep talk. It is a promise from God himself that his children will receive mercy and sustaining grace in times of need. That all things will work out for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you see how God is responding to your suffering, to hard times, whether they've been hard times in the past? Will you see and keep this in your mind as, as, as you encounter suffering in the future? How do you see God relating to you when you suffer? I mean, when crisis hits and just the bottom of your life falls out and everything is a, is a mess, how do you perceive God? Is he wagging his finger at you? Like, you knew this was going to happen. I told you, if you didn't do this, then this would happen. Then you're not seeing the God of the Bible. If you're hearing him telling you that your suffering is just, it's everyone's fault, you see what's wrong with the world, it's everyone else, then, you, then you're not seeing the God of the Bible. If you're feeling him absent by thinking, you left me because if you really loved me, then I would feel your presence better than I've ever felt it, then you're not seeing the God of the Bible. For the doer, Jesus offers himself as the answer to our need for action because he is the one that acts on our behalf. He is the one that works for us. He is the one who is righteous in our place, the one who sustains and controls all the outcomes of everything. And he assures us that he alone is this true stability in our life and not ourselves and not what we can accomplish, but him. For the duller, Jesus offers himself as the affectionate, empathetic, ever-present friend who is always with us, even in the midst of our pain. I hope you will hear one of those two or both of those two, wherever you need it today. That's the Jesus that loves us. He sees us, he experiences our pain with us, and he reaches down and he rescues us. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.